I'm managed by all of my friends who help me offer the love and never ask me for shit. They say it's not a career if it don't pay the rent. Though I love this, I had to make it make sense. Desires fill up my list, cause we work day and night. I see it in my sights. My girl think I'm obsessed. I think she might be right. Hey everybody, uh, my name is Ken Beers and this is the Block Stars podcast. We have an interesting guest today. He's a co-worker and a friend of mine, um, Senior Director of Digital Innovation at Nudesic, which is where we both work, Chad Cook. So, uh, welcome Chad, how you doing? I'm doing really well. Good, it's Ken, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. So you're in the, you're in town for, for an event that we had last night. Um, you're originally from where? I'm originally from Southern California, spent just about my entire life there, recently moved to Phoenix, just looking for a new opportunity and a new set of kind of people to talk to and, and interact with, but um, yeah, get to come to Denver about once a month to hang out with you guys. Hopefully it's not too bad. Uh, it's a little chilly, yeah. but it's all good. Yeah, it did, it did snow last night, so uh, I don't know if it, in Southern California and Phoenix is probably not used to that too much. No, it, it hit 60 and we get scared. Yeah. <laughs> great, great golfing by the way. Absolutely. Yeah. I golf and I love it. I love, you know, when it's good weather. In Denver, you can kind of catch some of that in the winter, but I'm sure in Phoenix it's more days. Yeah, well, similar to to Denver, you guys have your cold period where you're not going to go out and golf. Phoenix has its summer where you don't go outside. Yeah. Otherwise, you will cook. You will so, yeah. yeah. That's true. So, um, obviously, this is a technology podcast, so let's get into some of that. Um, Chad is not uh, into blockchain yet. I say yet because once people start looking into it, they realize uh, how cool it is and they get into it. So I foresee that you will get some point. Um, however, what, what do you do for Nudesic? What is, what is your role? Sure, so in my role as the kind of director of innovation, um, it's really partnering with customers to help them innovate. That's kind of very vague and ambiguous. And I think that's, that's done on purpose just that Really, I'm there to work with our customers to help them either solve some business challenges that they have or potentially kind of help them with kind of new opportunities. Um, being Udesic, we tend to go kind of nerdy, as, as you're well aware. And so technology tends to drive a lot of our thinking. However, consulting's really kind of changed in the last couple of years, especially for Udesic, in that technology's more of an enabler than should be a driving factor. And so as we look at kind of things like, like the very broad topic of innovation, right, how can, what do you want to do is really going to be the first question. Um, and then how can I use my technical background to help facilitate some of that process? Um, for example, we have a number of different customers really just starting to look at things like, like mobility, even as, as prevalent as it is, it's more, okay, well, we're losing market share. We need to have, like, we recently um, released the Guitar Center app. So we worked directly with Guitar Center to build out their mobile application. And, and as we were going through that process, the question continued to came up, why are you doing this? Yeah. And for them, it was it was just to stay relevant in, in their business, right? They're brick and mortar, transitioning more to a, a kind of a digital company. And having that application in the store was kind of like, as their CIO mentioned on numerous occasions, just the cost of doing business for them. Um, now, I think that's kind of uh, one side of the spectrum, right? Others are really looking at kind of innovation and the kind of the, the impetus around it, just an ability or a mechanism for change. 
we're seeing a lot of our customers, long-standing customers, moving from a traditional kind of service mentality to much more of a, a service provider to their customers. Um, we work with E470 quite a bit. Um, we've done that at SRP Gas and, and others, where yes, they still are serving a customer, they're still providing a service, but they're starting to find a lot of the data they're capturing or a lot of the things that they're doing are can be abstracted and, and kind of expanded out into more of a service for a customer to kind of tap into or selling some of that data. We had some of those conversations last night of I have a tremendous amount of data that I think is valuable, you know, with others. Yeah. And, and how do you kind of package that up and, and kind of start down that path? Yeah, and that's obviously, you know, a big topic these days is, is data. Um, I'm in the data and analytics, you know, service line at Nidesic and, you know, the, the data that's out there um, that people want, uh, they may not even know they want it yet, but there's so much data out there that uh, companies are realizing they can, in essence, you know, make a, make money on it or, or get a name for themselves by, by you know, handing it out or whatever. You brought up two good points, though. Um, it's interesting that the two sides of businesses, one is kind of a reactionary, uh, you know, why do you want to innovate? Well, it's because I have to. Everyone else is doing it, therefore I better do it. And then the other one um, is, uh, you know, forward-looking, the, the, the idea that they want to innovate because th there may not be anything wrong, there may not be anything wrong that, that they want to fix, but they want to kind of move into um, the next technology, the next uh, way of doing things. So what, what are kind of some of the challenges, I guess, that you come across in, in regards to, I guess, the first one, um, the people that are trying to uh, catch up and, and you don't have to call anyone out. Yeah, absolutely not. Um, we love all of our customers, of course. Um, so I think the the first one is around kind of the, those organizations that may have not embraced kind of this this new digital world, um, if you will. And so as you, one of our one of the quotes that our CEO on Rohani has, has said on numerous occasions: If you're not innovating. And then you can insert innovating with kind of changing or whatever that kind of uh, term you want to use is. If you're not innovating, you're dying. And I think we're seeing that a lot in organizations of if they're not making those investments in change. I'm not saying you have to go buy the latest and the greatest technology stack, but making those investments for change, you will be swallowed up. Um, and it's not swallowed up from kind of the traditional mindset of the big eating the small, which is. We've seen that a lot in brick and mortar for you know decades now, um, but more of the fast eating the slow, and you're seeing very large organizations or even industries being insanely disrupted because just a company came out like Uber and said, "Look, I'll, I'll provide a service. I'll, I will provide people jobs. I will provide people an easier way to go find, um, you know, like this service of transporting you from one place to another, but you're seeing those all over the place. Uber has, you know, zero kind of cars. They're a, a transportation company, as you want to look at it, right? Airbnb has zero properties, technically. And so it's a, it's a change of a mindset. Now, I'm not saying every organization sh should compare themselves to an Uber, because that's also difficult. And that's one of the, I think, the, the hardest parts for organizations to kind of um, realize is you don't have to be the Ubers or the Netflixes or the Airbnbs of the world. You just have to be thinking in a more forward kind of uh, progress to kind of stay relevant, stay engaging to your customers, 
Um, because if you don't, somebody's going to come along and, and swallow you up. I think on the on the flip side of that a little bit is we work with a lot of like either government regulated or other regulatory kind of bodies, kind of um, uh, kind of set rules and guidelines and stuff. And you're seeing a lot of those organizations still looking at innovation as as something they have to do just because just because a government says you know this organization is here and they're going to provide you power right on the on the flip side of that people are going off the grid right solar is becoming more and more prevalent in the world right you have tesla providing people with um, options to replace whole walls in their house with batteries and things like that so they're starting to see an impact of just because people have to come to me doesn't mean they have to use all of my services. And you're going to start to see a decline in that as well. And so um, a lot of those organizations we're working with are looking in that same manner of how do we kind of keep our customers engaged. And I think there's a, um, a number of different characteristics of an organization. We can get into those if you want a little bit. But of, of how to change and how to embrace this kind of whole new digital world that um, you better have at least a couple of them. You better be thinking of ways of how to innovate, or you know, the small player will come in and, and beat you up. Yeah, and it's interesting you talk about that. Don't want to forget um, AWS or, or Amazon, but and brick and mortar. But um, the the idea that uh, the amount of change in the last twenty years, uh, if you look at it compared to you know the history of mankind, is is crazy. Right, the technology has just you know 20 years ago we didn't have uh, good phones, cell phones. We didn't have computers in our hands. We didn't have uh, Ubers that could come pick us up. And you know, there's a technology aspect to that, but then there's also, like you said, the mindset. People have to realize that you can't just react. You can't just understand that there's a technology coming and say, yeah, you know, maybe I'll deal with it or not. You have to deal with it. Things are changing so fast. Absolutely. So the um, the Amazon brick and mortar thing. You talked about brick and mortar. The the idea that Amazon bought um, Whole Foods, right? Right. And the the whole, the whole thought was, well, at least what I thought they were going to do was shut it down and just turn everything into online. But they reinvested. Mm -hmm. So uh, what do you what do you think their plan is there? Do you, do you have any thoughts on that? So we we've, we've worked with some of Whole Foods kind of competitors. Um, they're they're feeling kind of obviously the push of now now it's kind of going back to the big and the small a little bit mentality, but I think it's it's going to be I think you need to look at them from it's, it's different mindset right so you have an established organization of Whole Foods that has stores throughout the United States um, that that service our customers in a in a very kind of localized manner you know people run down to the Whole Foods, go get groceries, and, and come back home. Amazon, and, and my family's a perfect example of this, they buy everything through Amazon. Um, if my, me, myself, I don't even price shop anymore too much. Sometimes when it's a big ticket item. But if it's something you know less than 20 bucks or so, I'm going to go to Amazon to buy it just because I know it'll be at my house in two days. Um, or you know, in, in a short period of time, I can trust that if there's an issue with it, I can return it. And, and they have me as a, as a customer probably for, for a very long time until the price of Prime gets too crazy. Right. But I think, I think that works for probably us in, in our generation. 
but there's still a whole different set of generation of people that are consumers, right? So you have the millennials and, and we'll, we'll be in a kind of that, that XY generation before that, but there's still like our parents and that kind of the gap in between the baby boomers, whatever there are very familiar with shopping at a physical location. And, and my wife's not a, a baby boomer by any means, but she still likes that instant gratification. And so I think part of that was, why do we buy Whole Foods? One, it's a localized organization or a company that people have found a trust factor. Um, Amazon works, I think, very hard to have that same mentality of, you know, I trust buying through Amazon. They trust buying through Whole Foods. They can get that instant gratification, especially when it comes to something like groceries. I know Amazon has, I think it's a pantry, mm -hmm. um, which, worked really well in certain markets, but didn't seem, at least from my perspective, really catch on too heavily. And then I think lastly, and, and as you look at the way a lot of brick and mortar organizations are going is from kind of uh, a, a store shipping model. I'm drawing a blank on the, on the term around it, but a lot of stores are moving away from the Everything's in a warehouse, it gets distributed to the store and then it gets distributed to a customer. But having the stores be those distribution kind of mechanisms, a local place where you can then ship product to customers at a, at a much cheaper price point, because you're not going all the way from Ohio to say California, you're going from down the street to kind of the, the residence or wherever it's trying to go. So I think Amazon's starting to look at that as more of it was a, a ready-built distribution model for them. Um, they're, they're innovating all over the place, right? They are now doing logistics, right? They're, they're moving product all over the place. I have an Amazon uh, delivery person that I'm starting to kind of get that relationship with of, hey, you're back, hey, great to see you, right? But it's an Amazon, it's not a UPS, it's not a FedEx, it's an actually an Amazon carrier. It may be third party, but sure, at least it, it says Amazon on the on the panel. branded. They're branded. They're branded yeah. exactly. So I think that's probably part of their mentality and shift, and, and that's definitely one of the characteristics of a a newer organization is this ability to kind of look forward thinkingly and uh, that's poor grammar, but um, <laughs> looking into the future and saying, okay, what other services can I provide to my customers, right, or how can I better serve them. Um, Progressive Insurance is, is one of those organizations as you look at them today and you go, okay, great, they give home insurance and they have flow with their little price gun and stuff, but if you really look at them, they're obsessed with kind of the customer service aspect and they have been for a very long time in the fact that um, you put in all of your information, they may go, and I, was, I actually did this and they found uh, a different uh, insurance provider that was cheaper, but they went, they go in and say, look, we may not be the best price, but we want you to go look for new insurance, right? We don't want you to have to live with the status quo. And they've been doing that for a while, which they is have, interesting. Absolutely, but they've always had that mentality of, we have to do so. We have to provide services for our customers. Even if, um, you know, we can't fulfill your auto insurance, at least in the back of your head, you're like, wow, that progressive company was pretty cool, right? And I'm gonna go tell my buddy Ken to, hey, you're looking for insurance, try progressive, right? You know, they, at least they'll give you a pricing mechanism for it. But going back to then to that data piece, they now have mm -hmm. which cars I'm driving, right? Which my address, which my phone So, which insurance they chose. Yeah, which insurance you at least clicked through, yeah. right? And so, it, 
there's the perception on the consumer side that they're trying to do a lot of stuff, but also there's reasons why organizations do that. That's something that Udesic's been looking at and making a tremendous amount of investments and has been paying off in spades is having a, um, a business consulting arm to Udesic because there, there always needs to be a value proposition that tied to a lot of this stuff. Um, one thing I recently presented at our DevOps Roadshow, and one of those slides we're presenting is as you look at a product backlog and things that get delivered, 60% of those items have zero or negative value. Mm -hmm. um, I think Google was the first one to kind of start to publicize that, that we're doing a lot of work that doesn't have a lot of value. I think it was HP and um, Apple that kind of also like revalidated a lot of product numbers. As opposed to value. Val just product. value in general, right? Because oh, okay. values value can be different, right? There's there's opposite profit. Right. But there's also the concept of like because value may be kind of a reduction in time. Oh, right. It's like, you know, I did this thing and it, it sped up my process, which in theory makes my employees more productive and et cetera, et cetera. It gets down to some kind of dollar. It's you want to be able to kind of put those correlations in place and say, this thing I do has value. And then as you look at kind of DevOps in general, how do I do that faster and faster? And so that's kind of one of the mechanisms that, that UBSX working with a lot of our customers on is you have an initiative, that's great. Can you quantify that this is a good thing to do? Right, if you can't, we have a business consulting group. There's a lot of other bigger consulting groups that do just that, but kind of start to quantify, is this a good business decision or not? And then how can we do it as quickly as possible? Because again, it's the fast eating the slow, it's not going to be the big eating the, the small one. Yeah, the fast is, is a good point. And one of the um, one of the things you reminded me of as we were talking there was uh, a news, I, I listen to NPR in the morning uh, when I'm driving anywhere, and one of the things they talked about was in Korea, South Korea, um, they have a lot of convenience stores that are in essence automated. You have to put your card in, a credit card in to get in the door, uh, whatever you pick up, you have to pay with your credit card before you walk out, that type of thing. Um, I, the idea that, like you talked about, the distributed model there, I mean, basically all that is is a warehouse at that point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty looking warehouse, things are organized and all that kind of stuff. It's not like Amazon where things are in different places for different reasons, but um, I, I thought that was really interesting. And, and you know, another person they interviewed talked about that they had, uh, he was a convenience store owner and he liked the idea of recognizing the customers that came in and starting to pull up the, the pack of cigarettes that, that they normally get. Now, automation, um, you can probably figure that out, right? That's the credit card of the guy that bought this same pack last time, I'm gonna push it out to the front corner or whatever. Uh, but it's very interesting to uh, to think about where these things are going to be and how they're already starting. Absolutely. We have a number of customers, I can't mention names on either of these, but really looking at that 360 view of the customer and knowing kind of one of these is a very large hospitality um, organization that, that services their customers from a, a number of different revenue sources. So one being kind of hotels and kind of properties. One gaming from a kind of a gambling perspective, and then third is kind of food and beverage and kind of some of the other ancillary services, whether it's merchandise and things like that. And all of those are different business groups within this larger organization. The problem was you found Ken that loved to gamble. Sorry, I keep picking on you. No, sorry, you're across. I love you, right? Um, okay, so the perfect, um, perfect scenario here. So Ken loves to gamble. 
and they see that, right? And they go, okay, well, we're going to you know, provide you a hotel stay or, or whatever the case is. But your wife or your significant other or your best friend that comes with you to Vegas all the time, maybe hates gambling, right? Maybe they're there for the food. Right? Or maybe they they just like the, the luxury items of like um, massages and spa treatments and stuff like that. Well, there wasn't this correlation of as Ken and his friend or significant other comes in, like how how do we cater to both of them? Um, also, maybe you love gambling, but you also love eating, right? Or you love doing these other things, and the different groups weren't consolidating this and saying, okay. Ken's a multifaceted person, and we're seeing a bunch of organizations, two in particular that we're working with right now, saying, I want to know everything about this customer as soon as they walk in my door. What they bought in the past, right? How long they've been here. Um, kind of like when they call, I want to be able to see Ken's calling, and here's what his likes and dislikes and all of those other mentalities are. Now, hospitality, especially in the gaming space, has done this for a number of different years with their quote yeah. unquote whales. However, the whales only make up a very small percentage of their revenue, right? It's important revenue, and it's mostly gaming revenue, which is highly profitable to them. But there's also the other very large percentage that they're kind of neglecting. And so building a platform for them to know everything about that customer and then be able to say, okay, how do I market to them in a very effective manner? And that's another kind of aspect of there's there's demographics. I was hearing that um, me myself being a you know 35 to 45 um, male is unimpre unimpressionable, right? Like they can't market to me. I'm very hard to like get excited about. However, if you look at like a, a you know a female that has something, they can show her a picture of Beyonce carrying this certain purse. She's going to go want to go buy that. And so you start to get this analysis of that. And a lot of times it's just because. They go, okay, 35, 45, male, they might like this. They, they put everything in generalities, which there's only a certain amount of um, effectiveness to that kind of type of marketing. Well, now if you go back and you go, I know exactly what Ken likes. He likes to gamble, yeah. he likes to eat, he likes to do this and that. If they give you a, a they have a kind of a trickle marketing campaign to you saying, hey, you know, you, you get a pop notification on your phone that said, hey, you've been gambling for a while, you're probably hungry, have a 10% off at this at this restaurant in my casino. Very smart. Um, and all of a sudden, now you're like, absolutely. They know I'm hungry, I've been here for a while, you're hooked. I, I like food, and in that that efficacy comes up quite a bit of that, that marketing campaign. And so that's like where a lot of that value shifts of can we take some of that data, can we crunch it down to something that's consumable, that's still a, a major problem with a lot, I don't have to tell you that you're in the space. How do we take some of this data and make those near time uh, kind of decisions and say, this is how I want to use or uh, leverage that data? Yeah, to the extreme, of course, you see some movies and stuff where someone's walking down the road and, and, and images are popping up on, on screens and stuff, you know, with them, you know, dressed in, in some, clothing or another, right? So the idea that as you're walking or you're going about your business thing, ads are coming at you in particular, mm -hmm. and you know, at a different angle, it's actually showing someone else. And, uh, one of the guys that, that we like to follow um, on, on YouTube talks about um, the augmented reality, you know, in, in five years, I think he said five or 10 years, he talks about the fact that everyone's gonna have contacts, and uh, I guess not the fact, that the, the theory that everyone's gonna have contacts that can switch between 
you know, real world, augmented reality, and virtual reality, and depending on what you're doing during the day. Um, so I want to give um, some props to blockchain as, as we talk here. Uh, there's two things I want to talk about. One of them is, is the consulting aspect of it. The other one is um, you know going along the lines of, of this uh, consumer to consumer idea. One of the things I think uh, really resonates with me about blockchain is the idea of taking out the middleman. So if you if you think about a farmer who buys a seed uh, from a, a seed supplier, plants it, you know, puts whatever chemicals on it they put on it. If you think about every one of those, in essence, transactions, every one of those steps is an announcement that gets put on the blockchain. It gets validated. Everybody writes it to their local node, so everyone knows exactly what has happened with that product all the way through to the grocery store, right? So you can. Come up to uh, King, you can come to King Supers. You can scan your QR code on this piece of broccoli, and you can see how uh, you know the whole life cycle of that thing all the way back to seed, right? In in your experience, what you know, what businesses have you worked with that could benefit from something like that? And kind of, I'm, I'm, I'm putting you under the spotlight. We didn't talk about this before, but I, I know you can you can talk to it. <laughs> so I think that kind of that guaranteeing of messaging. We talked about this a little bit last night. It's going to be important for a lot of different industries. I think financial is probably going to be the biggest because people want to guarantee that whatever they say happened, happened. Um, I, I did a little bit of kind of digging last night, and, and there isn't, there's probably is in production kind of cases of blockchain actually out there and running. If you look at the really big players, the JP Morgans, the other kind of open effort funds, all the big kind of financial ones, they all have R&D groups that are looking at blockchain. And I think that's a lot of it is just organization, it's, it's so new in the technology space, um, people have a hard time wrapping their head around it. Augmented reality and virtual reality were the same thing a couple of years ago, right? It was it was a fun, cool toy, right? Like we had them, we, we played games. And you got the Oculus at home. Right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you had the Oculus at home. It's still a really fun, cool toy to play with. But we're starting to do work, going specifically back to Nugasic, of doing work where now that's in the field, right? Working with oil and gas companies to provide SCADA data of the information. So as you look at a field, you can see the, the whatever that energy byproduct is, flowing through the pipes or That's right. kind of water, and seeing different pressures of things. And then also being able to put kind of safety measures in place to say, okay, this pressure, while it may say 50 PSI, and the other one next to it may say, you know, 500 PSI, that 50 PSI actually may be getting ready to blow because of the type of um, valve that it is versus that 500, right? So that one might be red, that other one might be green, and so you can start to highlight some of those numbers and put those mechanisms in place. Um, a lot of it using things, starting to get to kind of artificial intelligence and the machine learnings of the world of saying, okay, can we start to crunch some of these numbers, provide real-time alerts and all of that kind of oh, stuff. Yeah. Um, but going back to the blockchain piece, I think the, the way that it's being hindered in enterprises today is just a, enough people don't know what it is, yeah. right? We see the Bitcoins of the world, and that scares a lot of people, yeah. right? Volatility. Okay, the volatility of it, and just kind of where it originated, and the potential lawsuits that are around it, of, you know, is this a viable currency or not? I think we're past a lot of that stuff today, but that was in the news last year, yeah. right? And so I think organizations, as you look at kind of just 
a lot of organizations, they're, they're looking at it, they understand it. The R&D groups are absolutely doing proof of concepts and starting to roll stuff out of it. Um, and I think probably in a year or two, we're gonna see Udacity or even a lot of other kind of technology providers have to have some kind of blockchain arm of saying, okay, we, we understand the technology, we understand how to implement it, and this is how it's gonna provide you value, Mr. Customer. And that's, again, going all the way back to the, that innovation side of it is, there has to be some kind of value proposition around it. Now, maybe just be, you know, going back to your um, farmer example, it just may be, I know when I planted the crop, I know when I'm harvesting the crop, I know when all this stuff, and I can guarantee, because all my friends also knew that I did that, right? And that's gonna help further down the line when you get to distribution of your crop and things like that. Like, they can see it and they can kind of, um, kind of validate that it's, it's something real through those ledgers and things like that. So I think, I think it'll come down the line. It's just today, Everybody that's looking at it is a very early thinker. I wouldn't say bleeding edge, but it's it's definitely some cutting edge stuff of, you know, this is a new technology that's out there and how do we apply it to business? And that usually takes a couple of years to, to get to that point and then there'll be a whole flood of it. So to your point, and I agree 100%, it is, it is new and there's a lot of people talking about it, but not a lot of people understand how it's gonna fit into their business, right? Mm -hmm. um, and there are some challenges, right? I mean, it is new enough that even if you talk about Ethereum, which is kind of the, the development arm of, of blockchain, uh, well, one of, the, one of them, but the one that, that I particularly like the most, uh, the idea that, and I don't remember the exact numbers, but, but blockchain does something like um, something like 15 or something uh, transactions a second, where Visa does millions or hundreds of thousands, whatever the number is, uh, but it's, it's, it's slow, right? And, and in, the enterprise world, things can't run that slow. Now there's things, um, and, and feel free to, to go off and check this out, but there's things like proof of stake that uh, lower that speed, uh, or, or increase that speed, sorry, um, so that transactions are happening a little quicker and maybe getting a little closer to where we wanna go. Um, you know Chris Bennett, he also works for Udessic. Uh, he, he knows a guy that, that has, a, in essence, a, a private blockchain type technology that, that has speeds uh, closer to Visa. Um, so it, it's getting there. A lot of people are putting a lot of effort into it. That's another thing that kind of speeds it up is if you think about the idea that the blockchain is just a technology. It doesn't, you know, you can implement it in a number of ways. If you implement it in a, in a private way, right? So, so say one of the big firms around here uh, wants to implement something internal, some process or whatever that they, they think blockchain will fit, they can do it in their own little private world. And then once they want the whole world to know, they just announce that to the world and they can announce it as one piece of information or they can announce it with the whole hash of, of what happened inside that project chain, uh, depending on security and stuff like that, uh, what they want to announce. So getting back to consulting, um, how, how do we as consultants approach this, uh, this blockchain world? What do you think, uh, how, how should we do it? I think and it's the same way we looked at kind of as we started to Look at different cloud providers like the the Azure's or the AWS's, or the the Google Google GCPs of the world. You you got to kind of do some analysis and some evaluation. So um, I'm technically part of Nubesic's digital innovation group, and one of their charters um, is around kind of the evaluation of newer technologies. Um, one of the other things I was kind of reading about blockchain is 
there's a lot of different methods of it, mm -hmm. right? There's a lot of different kind of development standards and a lot of those things. And so that's one of the things that we're going to have to start to evaluate if we can bring it back into New Desic's terms of saying, you know, here's the kind of, this is the one we've proved out. We've proved this one out right. a couple of times and we feel comfortable now showing it to our customers, right? And so it's going back to the, just the whole dog fooding process of you gotta do it, you gotta try it, you gotta see what the problems are. Because if you're looking at it from my perspective, I've read a couple of blog articles, and so, okay, I have an understanding of, of how blockchain works, but it'd be hard for me to now go to kind of JP Morgan Chase and say, let's go do a blockchain project, right? Because, okay, well, what technology stack, right? Is right. this private or is this a public blockchain? To your point, right, what are the security mechanisms that are in place around it? And so, um, sorry, that was a, a tangent to sorry. answer your question, but I think we need to look at it more internally, do a lot of internal projects, and that's one of the, the great things about New Desic is we're not afraid to, to kind of try things and fail. Um, so try it a couple of times, get comfortable with it, put it into more production type um, instances where you have to prove out the security of things. And, and I'm an old school developer, right? Just if it doesn't work, just give admin to everything and <laughs> start working. Right? Nice. The, but you know, how do you limit that exposure and stuff? Do the, the security analysis around it and, and make sure this is something viable to bring to the customers. Because that's one of the things, while I said technology is an enabler, we almost become somewhat responsible for that technology. A lot of times it's provided by a Microsoft or a Google of the world and say, you know, this is their, their platform to build this on, but we're still building it. And so we should be able to, with some level of confidence, say, you know, we, we trust this as a platform and this is why we're helping to implement it that way. Yeah, yeah, you, you talk about, I mean, we, we talked about Ethereum a little bit. The idea that to go into a client like right now and say, uh, Ethereum is solid and Solidity, which is the, the, the development uh, tool that you use, the language that you use to write smart contracts, that's solid. You know, we, we, we'd be lying, right? I mean, it's just not quite there yet. And obviously, that's not something we want to do. Uh, we, to your point, we want to make sure that we have something that, that is uh, valid and proven out uh, to go into clients and talk to them about. So that's, that's great. Well, Chad, thanks uh, for, for joining in on uh, one of the first episodes of the, the Black Stars podcast. Uh, I really appreciate uh, your insight and, and uh, the, the knowledge that you bring to the table. So thanks again. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's, it's, I think the blockchain stuff is going to be a very interesting kind of world in the next year. Um, and, you know, keep me informed of, of how it progresses and how we can kind of bring it to our customers. Definitely. See, someone once told me, Working hard doing something you don't want to do. They call that stress. But working hard doing something you really want in life. They call that passion. So even if you're the only one who believes it, man, that's all you really need.